What is going on? If you want to go ahead and grab a seat. My name is Steven. Man, good to see you guys. Last Salt Company of the year. We made it through the craziest year in the history of history. How's it feel? You guys feel accomplished? That's awesome. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and jump. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into it. We're going to finish our series on the book of Acts tonight, looking at Acts chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone, go ahead and whip that out. You might be wondering, finish the book of Acts. Isn't, aren't there 28 chapters in the book of Acts? Yes, but a lot like your assignments, probably we just didn't finish. So too bad. But we are going to uh, finish our series on the book of Acts, looking at what a life empowered by the Holy Spirit looks like. And guys, we've looked like the whole semester um, through this book, and we've seen the message that Jesus is Lord has radically redeemed, radically changed people's lives. This message literally turned the world upside down. And we see that this message, this message that Jesus is Lord, move in power through the Holy Spirit through normal people like you and me. And that's what we're going to see again tonight. And I believe that in our passage, Acts chapter 17, we are actually going to see a vision for our summer, for next year, and for the rest of our lives. We actually get a vision of what it looks like to live a life on mission. So you're going to want to pull that out. It's a long passage. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Acts chapter 17 starting in verse 16. You guys ready? All right, let's get after it. Last salt of the year. Here we go. Acts 17 says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, you guys know who Paul is? You guys familiar with Paul? Paul was the guy who was standing at Stephen, the, the guy that we learned about two weeks ago, as he was getting stoned to death for telling people to believe in Jesus. This guy named Paul is standing right next to this guy named Stephen. And Stephen cries out with one of his last breaths, Father, forgive them, for they, do, for they know not what they do. And we see a couple chapters later, like two chapters later, actually one chapter later in Acts chapter 8, Paul come to know who Jesus is. He's revealed, the gospel is revealed to him in his life. He goes from killing Christians to actually becoming one. And so this guy, Paul, is now living a life as a Jesus follower and actually living his life planting other churches, communities of Jesus followers. So we see... Acts chapter 17, caught you up a little bit on who Paul is. He's here, he's waiting in Athens. Let's see what happens as he's starting these little communities of Jesus followers. He was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and those who worshiped God as well as in the marketplace every day. I love that. Can you imagine that? Every day he's in the marketplace with whoever's in there. He's just like, you're just trying to buy avocados, and there's this dude. Hey, man, you know about Jesus? No? Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Every day this dude's in the marketplace. You're like, oh, shoot, don't go up to that. I just want my almonds. Um, I don't even eat almonds. All right. So, all right, so he's, he's sharing uh, Jesus every day with people who are in the marketplace with those who had just happened to be there. Verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Coming after Paul, man. 
Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, so they took him, Paul, and brought him to the Areopagus, this big mount where they would discuss and big like hall where like a big classroom almost, and said, may we learn about this new teaching and preaching or the new teaching that you are presenting. Verse 20, because what you say sounds strange to us. So he's telling them about Jesus, that he rose again. They're like, hey, this sounds freaking weird. So can you just tell us more about this? And we want to know these things. Verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing in there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. So they wanted to hear this new thing that Paul's sharing. So verse 22, we hear this speech, okay? He has this chance to tell people about what he's He's teaching about, verse 22, and he says this. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For, as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar that was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. Does not live in shrines made by human hands. Verse 25, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the world or to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out to him and find him, though he is not far off from each of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then, we are God's offspring. Shouldn't we think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day where he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Verse 32, this is how they respond. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, we'd like to hear more about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, an Areopagai, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. All right, so this is what happens. Paul preaches the gospel in Athens. And some people come to know Jesus. And this story should change the way you look at your life right now. Why? How, why is this story something that we should like shape our life around? That's what I want to talk about tonight. So we know this, this city that he's in. What's the city that he's in right now? Athens. Athens is like, it's, it's not, like, not like Rome or Philippi or Corinth in the time. Rome is, so don't think like New York City. It's not like a big metropolis of like business and 
economics. Like, it's more like, uh, I've heard some scholars say, like, it's basically like a university city. It's a place where people go to learn, to be educated. So when we think of Athens, you don't think New York City, you kind of think more like Gainesville. It's a place where people come and find meaning and purpose and learn about new ideas and perspectives and ideals that the world should live around. And so basically what we're seeing here is Paul walking around what would be like a university city and bringing the gospel. I think this will give us a vision for what our summer could look like, what our next semester could look like, and the rest of our lives, living on mission for the gospel, bringing the gospel to those who will influence and impact the world. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna look at three things tonight. It's gonna be pretty simple. Three things that we learned from the life of Paul. And I heard a message a long time ago, like a couple years ago from a guy named Mark Vance who taught off of Acts 17 in this passage. And I really liked the way he broke it up. So I'm just gonna kind of steal his three points here. Three things that we learn from the life of Paul. One is this, why and how he lived on mission. So we're gonna look at Paul's motives and, mission, motives and methods for sharing the gospel. That's number one. Number two, we're going to see what he said. What is this message that he's sharing? What is unique about it? And then number three, we're going to look at people's responses to this message. So why and how he lived on mission, what he said, and how did people respond to this message? Sound good? All right, let's jump in. Why and how Paul lived on mission. We see Paul here with a bunch of philosophers and people in the marketplace who are buying almonds and avocados. And he's like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? But why does like Paul actually do this? Why does he even like begin to do ministry in the first place? What is driving him? Like what made him wake up and be like, you know what, today I'm gonna go tell people in the marketplace about Jesus. What is driving Paul to do this? Like, is, does he just like really love Athenian people? And he's like, I just got like heart for, like in his Instagram bio, does it just say like, Paul, I just love Athenians. You know, like heart for Athenians, like, Instagram picture with a bunch of like Athenian little children and be like, look at this mission trip to Athens, click, you know. Ooh, <laughs> too close to home, sorry. We'll keep, we'll keep going. Um, why, why? Why did Paul do this? Was it out of compassion or love? And I think this is actually important. Look at, look at uh, verse 16. Why is Paul motivated to share the gospel with people? It's interesting. I found this kind of confusing. Verse 16 says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, waiting for his friends to come catch up with him, he was deeply, what? Troubled, distressed, provoked. In the Greek, pissed off. <laughs> you know, it's not the actual Greek, sorry. <laughs> he was ticked off. Like when he saw that the, the city was full of idols, it wasn't because he was like just drawn with compassion for people. He's actually like, from a place of almost being angry, he's provoked. He looks around at the city and he sees a bunch of people worshiping, but it's not God that they're worshiping. It's a bunch of statues and idols and ideas and ideals and individualism. And he sees their worship and he's, he's mad. 
you don't really hear this a lot, right? Like when we did like connection group leader interviews, we're like, hey, why do you want to be a connection group leader? Why do you want to see a move of God on campus? You know what? I'm ticked. Been walking around campus really, really peeved off. Just, just seeing a bunch of idol worship. It's over in Midtown and I'm just hacked, you know. That's why I want to be a connection group leader. I would I'd probably be a little weirded out, to be honest. Oh, all right, weird. Why, why is it right for Paul to be ticked? Imagine like, man, Griffin, you're walking around campus, right? And you see your girlfriend, you see Lydia across campus, right? What's up? You're going to go say, hey, but then you see like from a distance, there's another dude. And like, he's not just like, like talking, like he's, he's laughing, they're giggling. Even at one point, he like, oh, that's so funny, puts his arm around her. Griffin, how you feeling, man? You about to, man, he's, he's getting like red in the face right now, man. He's like, tell me who he is right now. I'll find him. I'll go hunt this guy. Didn't happen. This is just a story, man. This is just a story, I promise. Why is it, <laughs> let me, I promise there's a point here somewhere. Why, why is it right for Griffin to feel that way? He's a little jealous. Why? Because they're in relationship. You shouldn't be treating her like that. You guys don't have a relationship. Throughout the scripture, in the Old Testament, as we're reading God's people that he created, and they begin to worship other things, worship idols, desire other things other than relationship with God. They're entering into another relationship that was supposed to just be for God. Love the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me. And so when they start worshiping, this is God's response. He feels like Griffin. Who the, you know, like, what? No, 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 no. Like, they're mine. I, I'm the one who gets their affection. This is how God feels towards idolatry. He alone deserves worship. Not a dumb golden statue thing, like this little object. No, God, the creator, the one who created you, the one who designed you, the one that gave you life, breathed life into your lungs. He alone is deserving of worship because he alone is creator. He is the supreme authority in your life. He deserves your love and affection. And so when you give your love and affection to something else, He's provoked to anger. Jordan Smallridge, when he was on stage, Jordan Smallridge is going overseas um, to Thailand this summer. And he was on stage and he said, one of the reasons why like we go on mission, and I thought this was so good. He said, one of the reasons like I'm, I'm motivated to go is not just for the, the people of Thailand, but because God is deserving worship that he is not getting. John Piper says, mission exists because worship doesn't. We go on mission, we live on mission because God is not getting the worship that he deserves. And this is what motivates Paul. He's walking around seeing that people are worshiping things that they shouldn't and he's, and he's motivated from a 
heart from, he has a heart for God and his heart for God actually propels him to have a heart for people. Do you see that? He doesn't start with a heart for people. He has a heart for God and this heart for God pushes him to tell people about God. This is his motive. This is why he's telling people about Jesus. But let's look even closer. How does he go about doing this? How does he go telling the Athenian people about God? Throughout this series, we've like, hopefully you've noticed a pattern in the book of Acts, like how like movements of the gospel have even happened. We see like a crazy like miracle happen and then some dude gets up in front of a bunch of people and quotes a bunch of Old Testament scriptures. He says like, hey, fellow Jews, there's a big crowd. And they're like, hey, everyone, guess what? You know that you believe in a Messiah that is coming? Well, guess what? You missed it. Because guess what? He already came. His name was Jesus. You remember him? Yeah, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. We got a bunch of people who witnessed that he raised from the dead, and you need to repent and follow him because he is Lord over all. That's how it works, and a bunch of people are like, shoot, you're right. We're sorry. We believe in Jesus. They get baptized. This is normally the pattern that we see in Acts, right? Big crowd, preach, relate, show you how the Messiah is the one who connects to, to what you've always believed. But this isn't exactly Paul's strategy here, which I think is interesting. Look, look at how Paul relates to the people in Athens. I think this is huge. Verse 22. Go ahead and look back at verse 22. It says this. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are very religious. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. Does not, he does not live in shrines made by human hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. See, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all the things. Verse 26, from one man he has made every, every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out to him, though he is not far from each one of us. Okay, how is this different from like what we normally see in Acts? Paul doesn't get up in Athens and start quoting scripture. He doesn't start arguing on the basis of like their specific view of the Messiah. Like he doesn't open up to the Old Testament and point, hey, this is who Jesus truly is. He's now revealed himself. That would probably work for Jews. It did work for Jews, but not Athenians. So what does he do? Well, he gives them a story that they can relate to. Like he speaks their language. He shows them how the story they believe about like idols and like beings and purpose, he shows them how this like abstract view actually fits into the story of God. Shows it how it connects to the gospel. Verse 28, look at this. For in him we live talking about this, this unknown being that you don't know. Guess what? I know him. And he says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. 
as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since then, we are God's offsprings. We shouldn't think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human hands. Check that out. Did you, did you catch that? Homeboy quotes one of their poets. He looks at their culture, what they're learning, what they believe, what they're interested in, and he quotes it. He enters into their belief system, and he connects what he knows to be true. He knows that God is not an idol. It's not made of silver or stone. God is not unknowable. And so he's beginning to connect what they believe into what he knows to be true. And this should, this should encourage us, guys. Because you are around so many people who believe and live in different narratives about the world. They are functioning from a different belief system than you. Whether it's their view of a sexual ethic or specific religion or no religion or individualist expression or justice movements, or race theories. Like, you are speaking to people who have a, a different belief system or narrative than the one of Scripture. And I believe that the message of Jesus reconciling us back to God, in that message, the message of Jesus coming to reconcile us back to God, that message, we actually find the answer to every problem, every narrative, every belief system. Every problem, every person that you encounter, I believe that message is the answer to everything that they're looking for. And as we, as people, we can enter into those specific stories and narratives and we can bring the light of the gospel to show how the story of God actually brings the truth into what they're searching for. Did you know like the people that like you believe differently than? Some of these people who have like incredibly different ethics or narratives of life that, than like what you believe. Do you know that you are a lot more alike than you think? Like you are a lot more alike than you are different. Everyone at some level, at a deep soul level is searching for meaning, searching for purpose, wanting to be known and wanting to be loved. It's true of every human. And the only difference, if you're a Christ follower, from you than the person who like has an extremely different value system, the only difference is that you, by grace, know that you can find all of those things in the message of Jesus. We see that Paul, like his, his tactic here is to have a heart for God and then to enter into the lives of others and bring the message of Jesus. But what is the message of Jesus? Like, what is this message that brings hope? What is this message that Paul brings? And that's our, our second point. So that was number one. Here's number two. We're going to fly through these. Ready? This is what Paul said. Paul shared the gospel, <laughs> the story that is imprinted on every person's heart. 
that every single person, no matter who you are, was uniquely created, wonderfully made, designed to have a relationship with God. But this truth has been distorted and broken and fractured because of sin. But God has made himself known through Jesus. And if anyone receives God's grace by believing in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, they can begin to recover and pursue and experience new life in the kingdom now and into eternity. This is what Paul shared. Look at verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, there, so this is God's perspective, overlooking times of ignorance. This is grace. There's times you've been ignorant, you didn't care about God, you didn't think about God. Paul is saying, therefore, God has overlooked the times of ignorance. But now, God commands all people everywhere, look at verse 30, commands all people everywhere to repent. Verse 31, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, and he has provided proof of the man who is appointed, and that is this, by raising him from the dead. This is the story that Paul shares with everyone he comes in contact with. The reality of grace the coming of righteous judgment for every person everywhere. Do you fall into that category? Yes, you do. Every person everywhere. There is a coming righteous judgment. And he shares the call to urgently repent. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, we don't have time, like, he pleads, be reconciled to God. He's begging them, repent. Time is short, judgment is coming. And all of this is rooted in the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul does. He shares the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners like you and me. And that's true of those in Athens. And how do people respond to this? Last point, number three. How do people respond? Look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius. Demarius, I don't know. <laughs> and others with them. We see two responses from the message of Jesus. Two responses. Number one, ridicule. Some people said, this is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Please leave our city. <laughs> you know, This is stupid. People don't raise from the dead. It's impossible. They began to ridicule him. That's one of the ways that people responded. That's one of the ways you can respond to the message of Jesus, ridicule. There's another way that we see here. First, the second thing is this, 
Some people ridicule, but others repent. It says that some believed. Apparently what Paul shared about Jesus being the one true God who can be known, who has given his life for you to experience life with God. Apparently that message resonated with people and people in their heart believed that it was true. They believed, yes, there is a God. He is perfect and we aren't and we need a savior and Jesus is that savior. And Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he proved to be everything that he said he was. And if we turn from our life and trust in him, we can find life now and forever. Some people believed that message. And their lives were changed forever. Salt Company, you have two options tonight with Jesus. There are only two options. You can ridicule the message of Jesus. And believe, yeah, Jesus is not who he says he was. Maybe a good teacher. Maybe a prophet. Maybe a good social worker. But not the king of all, the son of God, the risen savior. You can ridicule him and walk away. Or you can repent and see that Jesus is who he says he was. That he was king. But there is no middle ground. There is no, yes, Jesus is risen king and now I'm gonna do what I want. There is no, Jesus is the risen king, but not for me. It's either you walk away and think, this is not true, or this is everything. This is worth giving my life for. This is worth changing my identity for. I can have relationship with God by grace. How will you respond to the message of Jesus in your life? And tonight, how will you respond to the message of Jesus? This is our last salt company until the summer, into next year. And I actually, what I want to do now is I want to actually like think back on how this message affects us from this point on. Like, Okay, those are three things that we saw from Paul, but very quickly, I want to blitz through like six things, how this can affect our message going into the summer, going into next year, and for the rest of our life. You ready? I'm going to fire through these. Six things, and then we're going to be done. How crazy is that? Number one, if Christ is your Lord, live like it. If Christ is your Lord, you've been given a couple things. Did you know this? If you are in Christ, if you are a professing Christian, you've been a couple things, given a couple things. One, a new identity. Think about Paul. He's new Paul here. Ain't no old Paul here. <laughs> He's no longer persecuting Christ followers. Did you see that? He is one. And he's planting churches. Listen, if you are in Christ, know this. You are not your past sin. You are not your past shame. You are not the past person. You are a son and daughter of the risen King Jesus who has given you new life in him. Remind yourself of that daily. Look in the mirror and remind yourself that daily. You have been given a new identity if you are in Christ. No longer does God look at your sin. He looks at you as he looks at his son, Jesus. You've also been given new community. Paul rooted himself in the teachings of Jesus along with the people of Jesus. Listen, 
this summer and for the rest of your life, you have to root yourself in a community of followers of Jesus. You will not flourish on your own. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing. We have no messages in the Bible who are like, hey, specifically, here's that one Christian by himself. It's like, no, they're writing to Christians who are a part of Christian community. You will lose your faith if you try to do this on your own. You've been given a new identity. You've been given new community. You've been given a new mission. The message of Jesus changed Paul's life and he knew that it could change others. Listen, the message of Jesus, if it has changed your life, it can change the lives of others. The gospel message came to you not to sit inside of you. Do you know that? The gospel came to you and it's on its way to someone else. All right, that's number one. Number two, understand that God, God's plan for your life and your plan for your life don't always align, but his is always better. He's in Athens. He's not supposed to be in Athens. He got kicked out of another city for preaching the gospel. So he just finds himself in Athens. This is not where he thought he would be, but this was not by accident. He's in Athens, but it's not by accident. God placed him there for a reason. Listen, when you obey God and live with the Spirit, he will call you to do things that you wouldn't have done yourself. You will end relationships. You will go overseas. You will transfer schools. You might move. But when you believe that God's plan for your life is better than the plan that you could have for your life, I promise you, you will experience life. God's plan for your life is way better than any plan that you could ever muster up. That's number two. Number three, how does this message change us? Well, I would say this, going into this summer and into next year, number three, foster a heart for God, not a heart for idols. Here's, here's my challenge to you this summer. Focus on growing your love for God, not necessarily people. I know that sounds weird, but focus on growing your love for God, not first people, places, or purposes. Loving people, the place you're in, or like the purpose in your life on its own does not lead you to loving God. But loving God will always lead to loving people. Abiding in Christ reading and saturating and like connecting your life to the life source and reading and praying the words of Jesus, this will lead to a life that runs away from sin, that hates sin, hates idolatry. And your heart will begin to be transformed to love God and hate sin. Rest in his love and you will grow in your love for him. Know that you have been forgiven much. Rest in that and you will grow to hate sin and love God. Number four, start with where you are and what you know. Paul's in Athens. He knows about Jesus. What more does he need? You don't need to go overseas or know systematic theology to be an ambassador for Christ where you're at. You got family, you got friends, great, start there. Number five, pray for discernment to see how God might be working right now. Paul went every day to the synagogue and marketplace with whoever happened to come up. The dude who was buying almonds and avocados. He's like, what's up? Time to tell you about Jesus. Paul was just like, had his eyes open for how God might be working. Who does God want me to come in contact with? This is the life that we see Jesus live. 
constantly looking for how the Spirit is moving. How is the Holy Spirit leading me? So in salt, at home, on campus, in conversations, I ask you, pray this. Pray this like when you wake up, wherever you find yourself this summer. God, how are you working and how do you want me to be a part of it? Wake up and pray that prayer. It's a dangerous one, but do it. Last one, you ready? Number six, it's good news, share it. It's good news, share it. I challenge you this summer, just one time, just one time, as you are praying and asking how God might be working, man, share with someone what Jesus has done in your life. Ask to pray for someone who's an unbeliever over something. Enter into like whatever brokenness is in their life and share how like God has answered this problem in your life. How he came after you, how he loved you, how he gave you grace, how he answered you in your greatest need, sin, how he became your savior. Man, I challenge you this summer, share the gospel with someone. Share, it's good news. It's good news for them, so share it. And what is so cool to think about is not of just like what would happen, like all these six things. If we began to live like this regularly, like what would happen? But what is cool is to, to think about not just like what would God do if we did these things. It's actually pretty cool to look back on, on how God did move when we did these things. So think back, here's, here's a picture for you. I'm gonna show a couple pictures. This is our prayer service before launch. This is one of my favorite pictures, I'm not kidding, that anyone has ever taken. This is before we even launched Salt Company this year or had a kickoff. Um, shout out, Hannah Bryan there, Lauren Chung, Ray Slay, right up front. What up? This is what it looks like to foster a heart for God. Living a life like for Jesus, before anything ever started, begging God, would you move this semester and would you use me? Praying for our campus, praying against idols. This is what it looks like to foster a heart for God. Next picture. This is fall kickoff. Crappy picture, but it's from a drone, so what up? This was our fall. Anyone at kickoff this year? Yeah. Shout out to the people who weren't at kickoff. Glad you're here, man. Where's everyone else that was at kickoff? No, I'm kidding. Um, she, uh, guys, we had no idea what this semester would hold. When we talk about our plans not aligning with God's plans, hello, pandemic, didn't think that was going to happen. Having to deal with mosquitoes. Some girl got 60, was that right? Was that you? How many? 60-something mosquito bites. She stopped counting at 60. Don't we owe you something for that? I owe you Chick-fil-A. You and the rest of the world. <laughs> This is what it looks like when your plans don't align with God's plans, but God's plan is better. I, here's, a, here's a picture from doing church on a lawn where we told everyone to bring chairs. 
Some bro didn't have a lawn chair, so he brought a stepladder. I don't know what this has to do with anything. I just thought it was funny. Here's another picture uh, talking about, man, just like trusting God's plan as he's moving. We moved salt company from a mosquito-infested mosquito. It's the end of the semester. Mosquito, where did I even combine those words? Mosquito-infested swamp into the glorious promised land known as the parking garage. Shout out to the parking garage. Man. I felt like just like God showed up at the parking garage, connected us with a bunch of new people. It was so fun. I like every week was like a fun after party. I loved it. Um, yeah, this isn't, I, I love it. All right, what's next? This is, <laughs> this is a picture of uh, one of our leaders, Noah Lewis at a leaders meeting. Yeah, Noah. This is a pie eating contest. Here's what this picture represents to me. I'm going to bring this back to the gospel. You ready? Here we go. This is, <laughs> the picture actually has nothing to do with the point. But this is, when I talked about, hey, start where you're at and look around you. Like, I thought about Noah because we were in a COVID world. Like, how are we going to connect with freshmen? And he, we were like, hey, just start where you're at. And Noah, like, was teaching a class at the beginning of the fall, I was like, well, I'll just, like, invite the people in my class and invited a bunch of people to Salt Company. And so anyone here because Noah invited you? Oh, that's a bummer. Well, take that picture off. <laughs> Next picture. Oh, here we go. This is Rosie getting baptized from Lydia. And, guys, as we talk about the good news, it's good news, so share it. This is Rosie believing the good news, being baptized into new life. And I love this picture because I love the next picture. Because this is Rosie then baptizing Kristen. Are you embarrassed that we're showing that? Oh, my gosh. Guys, this is, this is the good news. This is the gospel changing lives, bringing hope to people who need it. This is sharing it, the gospel coming to you on its way to someone else. I think about this next picture, too, of Morgan. Shout out, Morgan. You here tonight? What's up? Hey. I think about Morgan, who filled out an online form to come to Salt Company, like, hey, I don't know anyone. Sorry, I'm not trying to, like, put you on blast or anything. Hey, I don't know anyone. She has friends now, I promise. Uh, and she got connected into a connection group and recently had put her faith in Jesus and got baptized this past Easter. Come on. I think about the message of gospel uh, going to Ashley. Ashley, you're here tonight, right? Ashley, not growing up in the church, also filled out a new here form on the website. Shout out new here form. Doing the work of Jesus. Um, and Jensen got to meet up with her and talk with her and share, like, the story of Jesus with her. And she also went out to the Good Friday service and heard that what Jesus had done for her and, 
and this is just like reaffirming, and she placed her faith in Jesus and got baptized this past week in front of her whole family. I've got a couple more. This is Miranda getting baptized. On the next one, we've got Alexis getting baptized. One more, we've got Kelsey getting baptized. And what is cool from all of those pictures, I love this scene, people getting baptized from their like connection group leader, you know, like their community, their leader, being able to baptize them. And all three of those pictures now, they have all three said like, hey, I actually want to be a part of leading a connection group next year for other people. This is like the movement of the gospel taking place, like the gospel coming to people on its way to other people. And I, I love this picture too because, oh, no, go back, sorry. Because Noel is now like, she was like, man, I, I'm actually feeling like I'm called to ministry. And actually next year, Noel is gonna be on staff with Salt Company, joining the team. Shout out Kelsey in that picture. And then this last picture too, we've got Josiah baptizing Cade. Woo! And Cade showed up to, to Salt Church a couple weeks ago. Where are you at, Cade? What's up, man? What's up? Uh, showed up to Salt Church not too long ago um, and came to Salt Company. And, and it was as he was just like hearing the message of Jesus, what Jesus had done for him and what he was calling him to do, he put his faith in Jesus. Started going to Gospel 101, started talking with Josiah about all that God has done in his life, and he got baptized. And since then, like Kate has begun to, it's so cool to hear a story. Kate has begun to actually start sharing the gospel with his roommates, praying that, that they would also to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Guys, people, when they hear the true story about God, and they realize their own emptiness and their own brokenness because they know that they were designed for more, designed to know God personally. And that because of sin, they need forgiveness and they need hope. And they realize that God has provided hope. He has sent a savior and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we can find everything our heart has longed for. When they hear that story, no matter where they're from, whatever their background is, there is something that resonates in their heart because this is the good news. This is the message of hope that everyone is longing for. And when we become a community that actively has a heart for God, runs away from idols, loves God and shares the gospel, we begin to see story after story of changed life. The gospel changes lives. And we saw that this year, it changed lives. All of those stories, we see changed lives. And I believe that God has given us a spirit of power to take that message of Jesus to see it change more lives to the ends of the earth. I love the, the end of that passage with Paul in verse 33. Paul leaves, and it says, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius or whatever, and the others with them. I love that. It says, some believed. Some believed. And I love that it includes their names. Because 
Behind each name is a story. And I bet for Paul, as he's going through persecution and will eventually be on house arrest until his execution, I bet he looks back and is like, it was worth it. It was worth it. Even just for the few, for those who would believe. There was a story about a person who God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For Paul, it was worth it because the same way that he experienced new life, so did they. Stories of grace. Guys, I believe that there are more stories to be told. Do you believe that? Like the stories that we talk about tonight, do you actually in your gut believe that there are more stories like that to be told? Stories of God's love and forgiveness and redemption Maybe your story started this year. Maybe your story might start tonight. Wherever you find yourself, I believe that God wants to use you and me to be a part of more stories to come. Let's pray.